and whoever's got the mouse uh, scrolling wheel, please move it away from the microphone. Buzz. That isn't me. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious Fan, and welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, my name is Peter, and with me are my two friends, as always. Next to the bottom in the championship, Luton Town, it is Dan Crookie. It's okay. Uh, coronavirus is going to save us. We're going to stay up. Uh, don't don't sue us. We'll be fine. How are you, Peter? I'm very good, Daniel. Are you? You're sounding much better than last week. So you you survived your uh, flu, COVID, uh, bronchial sorus, whatever thing you had. You're 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 back on top of the world. Yeah, I, I won't try and eat bronca, uh, bronchosaurus steaks or any of that crap ever again. You know, it dawned on me with all of the talk about uh, locker rooms uh, excluding reporters. Did that happen in time for you to be excluded from going in the women's locker room after the game when you went to the U.S. national team uh, game uh, in Frisco? They do a mix zone. So um, oh. weirdly, the mix zone would, wouldn't be allowed in MLS because you are too close to the players. But, you know. Um, yeah, okay. But I, I do wonder this question, and just in general with women's sports, because women are allowed to go into male locker rooms and see all the dongs. Um, are, are, are men allowed into like WNBA locker rooms or whatever female sports that this, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Do you? Your guess is as good as mine. I wonder. Um, I mean, the, the women's soccer that, that I cover mostly in the Metroplex, they don't have locker rooms. They get yeah. changed before they drive right. there, you know? <laughs> the locker room is the bench alongside the field. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure somebody listening to the pod knows the answer. And I'm hoping the answer is no, they don't let them do that. But I have to say, every time I'm, I'm in a pro sport locker room uh, where there are naked men and women reporters in there, I find it very uncomfortable. And I can only imagine how uncomfortable it is for the women and for the players. And I'm just, I'm fully clothed and I'm creeped out by it. Speaking of being creeped out, our fearless leader, editor and founder of thirddegree.net, none other than Buzz Carrick, come in Buzz. Hello, Peter calling in today from my uh, fallout shelter where I'm buried in uh, toilet paper and hand sanitizer. (laughs) I see you're the, you're the toilet paper hoarder. That's me. Why would you, why do you, you have diarrhea? Is that why you need all that toilet paper? No. No. You just like the fluffy feel of it on your naked body? <laughs> yeah, you know, just, I think I'm going to be in here for a long time. I'm going to need it. Making those way, TP angels. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you didn't ask me the locker room question when I'm the one that works in pro sports. Oh, that's true. Do you know right. the answer to the question? I do know the answer to the question, and most of them, the answer is yes, men can go into the locker room. Really? Uh, in fact, in the, I, I have actually covered... Um, US, U.S. women's soccer games where they, as a reporter type person, where they said, come on in and interview whoever you wanted to. And were there and I was, naked anti-dongs in there? Well, at, at that time, I was actually really uncomfortable with that, just as you say. And I, I actually declined because I was the only one there. I declined and had them and had had them bring out the person who I was interviewing, which was Christine Lilly um, at the time. So it obviously if dances, they do mixed zone now it has changed, huh. but I've definitely been in women's locker rooms before I've been in a women's, uh, college hockey locker room as a reporter. I've been in, um, which is w- really weird. Uh, I've been in, um, 
other women's pro sports where you have now you know they're all different though there are some that do and some that don't it just depends on what they're used to and what their media standards are uh quick varies quick related side story so when i was living in florida playing on a sunday pub team there was a norwegian guy on the team and arna was a very very good footballer um and he had played at a fairly high level in norway before he came to the united states and made a gajillion dollars but he would tell the story to people that when he was in college um uh, he was on the college team or whatever uh or whatever it was his club team and he was like 17 18 years old and the norwegian women's national team was training at their facility and one day he was walking into the locker rooms and he pushed open a door into a locker room and he looked up as he'd take three steps in, the door shut behind him and he realized he was standing in the locker room where the Norwegian women's national team were all in there changing clothes, half of them naked. Now, if you've ever seen the Norwegian national team of women, they are all really, really attractive for the most part. And he said he froze. And he, he didn't turn and run. He didn't know what to do. Like he just stopped and froze because he knew he should turn and leave, but he was so enamored and realized what a great opportunity he had just walked into. Like his own personal penthouse forum letter or something. Uh, he froze and he says he felt like he stood there for five minutes. He says it was probably only five seconds before he turned and walked out. Yeah. But he said all of them laughed at him. <laughs> they probably did. Yeah. So that's my favorite naked soccer female player story that I know. All right. Pretty good. You want me to tell it again? No, no, it's good. Okay. I enjoyed it. Could you tell it in Norwegian? Ah, oh, man, I wish. Listening to him talk to his wife in Norwegian was like <laughs> listening to an alien broadcast. It was Just very... channel your inner Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. You'll be fine. Yes, it was very weird. Uh, it's a very odd language. Lovely people. Uh, boy, they really handle personal like marriage and relationships very differently than we do here in the United States. Um, and they have a lot of open marriages, it appears, <laughs> over there. But it's a fascinating culture, and I want to spend some time there. And I wouldn't mind seeing the... Oh, never mind. Uh, all right. Well, let's get to the business at hand. Lots has happened since we last talked, and that's going to fill up some time here because we're not going to have lots to talk about for a while. Uh, but we will start with Huntsman 2, Impact 2. And Buzz, I'm just going to ask you, uh, I think Lucci is pretty much on the right path in his post-game conference by just before anybody could ask him a question, fronting up and saying... We have a lot of work to do. Uh, yeah, they do. They do have a lot of work to do. Um, we saw a step closer to what he would call Lucci ball. Um, but in particular, because Montreal plays such a deep, low block, um, that's a very, very tough block to break down um, by any stretch, by any team that does it. But Montreal and under Henri is really good at it. And um Dallas became increasingly frustrated and there really wasn't a lot of people on the field that seemed like they were capable of um, making a splitting pass or a splitting run or, or a, a cross that could get the job done. Um, and in particular, they tried a couple of different options and none of them seemed to work until they brought Paxton on. Uh, and the other side of that coin, of course, was that the defense, um, because most of the game they out, they kind of were just sitting around in midfield waiting. They all got a little flat footed. And so when they would get caught on the counter or get caught with a play down in their back end they sort of were uh not reading the game with anticipation and sort of just waiting for things to happen and 
Maxi Uruti being Maxi Uruti, we know him well. You know, you know what a dogged fighter that guy is. You know, never quit and got some balls first and poked him in. And and you're left scratching your head why a team that's more talented is down two nothing uh, at home. So they do have lots of work to do. And thankfully, some of it came to fruition when uh, Paxton came in and, and and made things more creative and. And uh, the, the the never say die attitude of, of firing balls into the box eventually paid off and eventually worked. Um, just relentless number of crossings that happened in that game. It was something ridiculous, and and uh, finally they were able to break them down. But it was not pretty. It was not sexy. And and if the book on Dallas this year is low block because they can't break you down for crap, uh, then this is going to be a long season. Dan, would you think uh, I'm on track with something when I say when when Buzz talks about uh, the inability uh, to break the low block or inability to put in a splitting pass? Uh, would you agree with me that maybe what I uh, what I felt was uh, what I was witnessing was that it wasn't that they couldn't they weren't even trying to do it, and there was a like a really weird lack of urgency with the team until they were down two goals and there was like maybe 11 minutes left in the game. Yeah, they definitely uh, seem to. Well, panic would be the wrong word because it wasn't a case of panicking. Um, you know that that back three, which you know really compressed down to a back five. Uh, you had the the spare centre back, Joel Waterman was uh, was able to to pretty aggressively defend with you know with the knowledge that two centre backs cover. Um, and FC Dallas noticed well. It's something that that they used the week before. Um, you know, he's, he's tight on Andrasek, so it's like, they're just like, it, it was almost like them playing out the back. Oh, there's no option open. Okay, let's just pass it around a little more. Nope, still don't free. Let's pass it a little more. Uh, it's getting late, guys. Should we uh, should we try and score now? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of baffling. It, it probably, it, you know, it, it didn't quite help so much. He had a bit, a bit of an imbalance. She had uh, Holland's head just, you know, he'd taken that knock in the week, and he just clearly wasn't himself. He was off his game completely. Um, yeah, yeah, and and um, I know we're gonna we're gonna get to it again, but uh, there was a, there was a bit of a hole at that free eight slash ten position. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get to that. I, I do want to. I do want to pick up on the Ryan Hollingshead thing because, Buzz, you pointed out that Lucci broke his own rule in starting Ryan, and it was very clear from the uh, very early moments of the game that Ryan was running it at like 75%, especially, I don't know, it was like two minutes into the game, a ball was going coming at him that hadn't been passed very well, and in the most non-Ryan-like uh, type of reactions, he didn't even try to reach for it. Uh, or much less make a move towards it, and I, and and that was kind of the first early signal that uh, Mr. Hollingshead was uh, not feeling up to snuff. Yeah, I actually thought he looked quite limited. Uh, I agree with you, and I thought his passing accuracy was um, way off. And I should have checked it uh, relative to the season because like my instinct, the eye test was like, boy, Ryan's passing is really off. Um, and as the game went on, and he, I don't know if you'd want to call it warmed up, but got into the flow. But it took him a long time for it to even be adequate. Um, I actually specifically asked Lucci if he had any regrets about playing Ryan when, you know, I thought he was going to hurt and not really going to be available. And he unequivocally said no, because he said, sometimes you got to be in there and play bad before you to make you play good. So I thought that was an interesting way for him to say that. 
Um, and, and obviously in his case, he, he relies on Ryan so much that he wanted Ryan to, I guess, effectively work through it and get, and get back that way. And now I, I'm not sure if I buy that completely. I think Johnny Nelson's a plenty good enough player. And I think Ryan's perfectly capable of working through it in practice, I guess, but um, you know, Lucci, Lucci had no reservations and no hesitations about it even afterwards. So he's the coach, you know, up to him, I guess. But um, I thought he was definitely a weak link in that game. Okay, so I, I guess we should dive into really uh, the most, you know, the most immediate and largest question, which is Jesus Ferreira, who had uh, Ferreira, who had another really poor outing um, in the post game. Um, uh, I, I think it was me. I think I asked him, you know, hey, what do you think of, you know, two games in, feeling about Jesus? And Dan, were you in the postgame conference? Yes, okay. I was. Were you, do you remember this exchange with him uh, about Jesus? Know, let me see if I have it pulled up, because I definitely transcribed most of it, but... Well, the reason why I'm uh, asking, I don't have it. Okay, that's fine. I'm just asking. Uh, did you get the sense that he he gave a very uh, non-answer about Jesus? Yeah, he was uh, he was in full protection mode there. Yeah, and and I and and I actually and when his initial answer, which you know in Lucci uh, talk was pretty lengthy, but really didn't say very much, and really. Put it more on uh, what he perceived to be Lucci's perception of his his performance. Um, I flat out asked him. I said, "Are you happy with Je- with Jesus's performance?" And he didn't answer that question either. He just kept putting it back on. If well, if Jesus was up here, he'd tell you he's not happy with his game. And 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 you know, uh, Buzz, I don't think it's any mystery to you, or it's not news to you, to find out that you know there are many people in FC Dallas circles uh, that feel like Lucci it, it has really tied his uh, boat to Jesus Freya in many ways, uh, and that's his liver died and ride guy. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, he even more than Paxton, Jesus is Lucci's guy from the academy. From you know, he's been. Uh, his his most valuable, most important player for a long time, um, but I don't think there's any question that you know when when you're the when you have the lowest passing percentage on the team for the day, as the playmaker, you know yeah, now you the number itself was 69 percent isn't horrific, but um, that you're against a low block that is pretty horrific. You know you're expecting a team not pressing you sitting back, and to throw throw your lowest number on your own team for passing is not good. Three shots, only one on goal, but he had zero key passes. He had zero successful dribbles. And you remember last year, a big part of what we liked about him was that quick turn and move into those gaps in in, in zone fourteen into the, in between the center backs, right? And then he only had one cross. He only drew one foul, which would tell you how he wasn't really doing anything. Uh, it just really was not an. He's not impacting the game. He's not making those moments happen. Those special moments. Those difference-making moments. And and over the first two games, Paxton is. So I think it's. Um, you know, we'll get to what that means later. But um, I definitely, I definitely think that that's the elephant in the room. I think from Lucci's responses, which I think Dan can, can verify. Uh, you know, there definitely is some concern with Jesus, and it, and 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 you know that too by. Uh, we'll talk about the Olympics later, but you know that too by what happened with the Olympic team. So um, definitely a problem right now. Yeah, I, the thing about the Jesus I can't figure out is is that he stopped trying to make plays and he seems more interested in collecting the ball and immediately just distributing it out. Like he doesn't want the ball anymore, it seems like. 
Um, mm. And while I've never felt like he was, hey, give me the damn ball and let me do something with it when Lucci started playing him in this free 8-10 role, whatever we want to call that, um, I, I've never seen it in the way that you know maybe you do, Buzz, or certainly not the way Lucci does. Yeah, it it seems like it's got it's gotten exponentially worse. And then everybody go, well, he was playing so well for the men's national team a few weeks ago, and the difference is is he's playing a very different role for Burhalter than he is for Lucci. Yeah, yeah, I can't help but wonder if this is another case where he played somewhere else for a national team, a different position, and now he's come back and he's. Well, no, you don't forget, but uh, Oscar Pereira has talked about it. Every coach has ever been here has talked about how it takes multiple weeks to get a player back in the way you want them to play when they come back from a national team, particularly if they play a different position. So, um, <laughs> you mean like Kellen Acosta at left wing back or whatever? Yeah, it was? <laughs> Kel, Kellen at left wing back. I mean, Shell Simon used to talk about this. You know, it's a it's a thing. You know. It, when you go to the national team, you get a different style of play, a different method, a different philosophy, a different set of tactics, and in Jesus's case, completely different position on the field. So uh, it's not surprising from that alone that he's not having problems. And then just this spring was not a, a, a tremendously great, amazing spring for Jesus when we saw him. You know, it's not like he's been blowing us away compared to where he was last year. So I, you know, I don't think by any means he's a bad player. I just think that right now. It's not working for him. He's not feeling it. He's not remembering what was working so well last year, so much of which was the line-breaking moves and the little check-check passing and the little turn and breaks that were happening. And none of that's happening. None of the creating is happening. It's Basically, he's not creating the game. He's not, uh, as Oscar used to call it, he's not the protagonist. He's not making things happen. And that's, and that's the biggest detriment, I think, at this point. Dan, uh, have you uh, developed any sort of man crush on Tiago Santos? Haven't we all? He's been phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, seconded. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, you know, considering the guy's a, a, a single, you know, meant to be a single pivot six, he's he's arguably been the most creative player going forward. It's, uh, you know, great to have a calming presence, but when the team's kind of lacked in that attacking role, the fact that he can step up and let Tasman or whoever he's playing alongside drop back and cover and, and kind of take the reins is it's at least helpful if nothing else yeah you know uh i felt like the i guess it was the tying goal or maybe it was no it was the the first goal and you you just mentioned it and i'm really glad you did dan uh this really surprising willingness on santos's part where he gets a ball looks up and is like uh, nobody's in front of me, and there's <laughs> there's an ocean of space. I think I'm going to take up my space <laughs> that this team is giving me. And we've seen him now make these really long driving runs into the box. Now, nothing's come out of it yet, but would would anybody agree with me that that opening goal was a byproduct of Montreal going, don't give him in those open lanes to run into the box? Because what happens is, and this is a comment we'll talk about with Reggie here later, Reggie gets stuck out wide with the ball like he always does, and so Reggie plays the ball back to Santos. And when he does that, the Montreal defender that was on Reggie slides back into the box to cover that lane, and now suddenly Reggie is unmarked. Santos makes the re return ball to Reggie, and Reggie throws in uh, the great cross to Cobra. 
And and I and does anybody agree with me that that is a byproduct of them being worried that Santos was just going to dribble free into the box? No, no, I, I agree with that. I, I hadn't thought of that, but that's an interesting take. I mean, if they would have scouted, certainly they would have scouted the first game. I mean, there's no way they didn't. Well, you know, he had done it he, to them earlier in the game. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Which is kind of ridiculous because they're playing essentially a five-man back line. You probably shouldn't have needed to do that. Yeah, no, that was a massive mistake on their part to bail out and leave. Uh, they did it a couple of times, actually, leaving guys wide open way on the outside and pinching down on Cobra or whoever runner was slashing through there. They made that mistake multiple times. I do have a funny story to follow up. You remember on Saigo Santos, you remember um, when I first was talking about him a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that Lucci had a, a, like a slang nickname for the kind of player he was. And I couldn't remember what it was. And I went back to Lucci and I asked him and I said, well, I probably was a curse word in Spanish that he said, basically it means he's a bastard. And I thought, you know, as a player, not as a person, obviously. And that's kind of, I think, accurate for the way he plays, obviously, is you hate playing against a guy like that, you know, both. And defensively, we knew it was going to be and the offensive added that he's doing is just phenomenal. So can we also just address the uh, the actual pass that he played for that opening goal? Get receiving the ball from Hedges with his back to goal, just a no look little one time flick over the shoulder to Reggie. It was just a thing of beauty. Left the uh, and you know, and that in part left the the three players around him absolutely static. You, you know, he's you see him and he's uh, clearly got Brazilian type skill. It's not as smooth as you typically see from most Brazilian players, but he does have a skill set that is uh, pretty unique, and it's been fun to watch after a couple of games. So uh, there's lots of promise in Tiago Tiago Santos. Um, all right. Anybody? Oh, well, okay. So let's, let's take a moment to talk about Reggie, who uh, I, Buzz, you and I had this conversation after the game. If, if Reggie needs to develop anything in his game, it has to be he's got to figure out a move to get himself down the line when he gets, when he gets the ball wide and there's a two, there's a low block in place. He teams, he seems to get stuck and he doesn't have a move to beat that defender. Yeah, he doesn't have like a on-ball dribble kind of move. You mean? Yeah, uh, like like Barrios yeah. does. Like Barrios yeah, yeah. will get a guy on the line and figure out a way to cut inside or go to the corner, one or the other, and he always seems to figure that out. Reggie just doesn't seem to have that component to his game. Yeah, there there was a um, a time early in his career where he actually had um, developed a little bit of a like an inside fake and then go kind of move, but he doesn't seem to be doing that anymore. Um, I'm not sure whether the competition got harder. Yeah, no, I was talking about an MLS and, um, early oh. MLS days. Um, you know, I, he's used to, of course, just the overlapping straight run. Um, I, I don't, I think you're correct that he does not have like a ball move. He doesn't have like his best move is just to try and line you up and run at you, you know? And if, and if it's a low block, there's not enough space behind the player for that move to be like that straight run and get, get him. There's not enough space. So, um, the, in addition to the move of trying to beat a guy, Reggie also needs to be able to cut inside and shoot left footed. Um, we saw a couple of examples in this game. I thought where he had a chance to go inside and pull the trigger and he didn't just because he doesn't, he can't really hit it with his left foot well enough yet. So, I mean, look, I mean, the guy's 20, what, 21. I mean, he's got plenty of time to develop his game, improve his game and hopefully he'll keep working on it. Cause there, you know, he, there's, there's still plenty of upward mobility for him in terms of development. Uh, Dan, uh, would you like to provide any commentary on the center back play in this draw? 
Christ, it's tough to remember it. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't remember it. They were kind of critical to both of the Montreal goals. Yeah, that was a that that, that was a mess. Uh, I mean, giving Aruti two tap-ins was 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 rough. Um, the second was, you know, maybe a little bit more down to uh, Santiago Mascaras, uh, probably best ever contribution towards a goal. But um, <laughs> sorry. Oh my gosh. But yeah, um, you know, as as Buzz mentioned earlier. Completely flat-footed at the back. Um, yeah. You know, I know the first guy they can't do too much about uh, the header off the post, but there shouldn't have been a free header at the near post to begin with. And uh, there was no reaction to to the ball even coming to the to the right winger on the second, let alone cannoning off uh, Mascara directly into the path of Rui. Uh, just, just not absolutely not good enough and. <clears throat> You know, we've, we, there were a couple of instances where we'd mentioned uh, how Reto Ziegler was susceptible to that that run that was inside the the defensive midfielder, um, in that kind of grey that, that that sort of like I guess you call it like a little corridor between the uh, between where you'd expect the centre back to come out to cover and the and the full back to pull in, and it, again we just saw players coasting past him in that in that space. Buzz, did uh, Lucci say anything about the the goals uh, when you talked to him this sh- this week? Not specifically. You know, I, I think I'll, they know in a lot of ways what sort of happened there. Um, you know, I, I I continue to be worried myself about um, Reto Ziegler. You know, being thirty four, I am worried about him. Uh, I feel like he's maybe starting to slow down, which he wasn't fast before, but. Uh, it feels a little feels a little worse to me this year. I'm not that I have a tape measure on him or anything. Um, but no, Lucci didn't talk about it specifically. I, you know, I, I think that overall his statement that we got a lot of work to do is fairly telling because um, it certainly wasn't you know a good defensive performance even against a low block, which is crazy. You wouldn't think you wouldn't need a good defensive performance, but. Um, yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, first off, I don't think Montreal is really that good of a team. And I think once they uh, square up against a, a real quality MLS side, I think, well, I guess they got exposed pretty bad in the CCL the other night. But I, I, I don't, uh, I just don't, I think they were getting a lot of credit for being super tough defensively. Uh, but they certainly are a team, uh, and I think Lucci is the one that said this afterwards, that they're kind of a team of soldiers and they really don't depend on any one thing. But they looked yeah. really susceptible to me for stretches of the game, and Dallas just didn't seem to have any interest to capitalize when they had the advantage, or uh, or when they really should be pushing the tempo and being urgent about it. Because that's how they ended up scoring those two goals, right? They got urgent, they started one touch playing, and they just essentially passed their way uh, in, into create into creating these opportunities, uh, which is something they weren't doing the entire game, which was really, really oddly frustrating, and it made it hard to celebrate. Uh, the point they got because it was like, well, where was this for the first 85 minutes of the game? Yeah, I don't have an answer for that, honestly. Um, you know, it, one of the things, the reason I made um, Cobra my man of the match was um, because his never quit sort of attitude was the thing that they needed at the end. Um, and it, it was really, I thought, really telling that um, Lucci and everybody else keeps talking about the Montreal game last year as being like their 
watershed moment that they always look back on. And then how you wouldn't take that energy into this game from the get go. It's hard to understand, especially because of the schedule coming up. Um, they, you know, it was basically a must win game for them. So um, it was really surprising to see what entailed to like a flat performance. Uh, it didn't help of course, that some of the opportunities they had early um, were not capitalized on with some not very great shooting. I mean, the, the, the shots in this game went up to 18 from the previous week's nine, but the shots on goal stayed the same with five because they were just firing the ball all, all over the place and weren't, um, you know, the, the, there's a difference between a chance and a real chance, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's a problem we're going to have to keep an eye on is where these opportunities for come from. Enough of them were in the box. That was actually really exciting. It was something like 68% of their shots in the box, which is a really positive number. Does anybody but, know the XG for this game? Uh, I don't have access to XG data, so I don't. I couldn't tell you that. Oh, it's on uh, one of those sites. Uh, you got keep going, Buzz. I'll find it. No, that was basically it. It's like you know, there, a lot of these opportunities were in the box, and they were just misfired by various people, you know, wide. And there was a large number of blocks too, of course, which comes from playing against a you know a five four one bunker, um, you know, so. It just was a rough day for Dallas all the way around. And the, the same problems from last year are still problems. You know, clinical shooting, finishing percentages, you know, um, breaking down teams that play a low block. That's always been a problem. Uh, beating a high press is never, I don't remember being a big problem. You know, it's only these, these bunker teams that give them issues. Um, so it's not, it's definitely uh, some stuff that, they're going to have plans out to work on it now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe it'll get better. So the HG, so here's the stats H and, and you guys understand this stuff better than I do. So Dallas was 2.66 and Montreal was 1.24. If I'm reading this correctly, I need to get one of those cats at American soccer analysis to teach me about their website. Again, I always forget this. Um, one of those guys actually was very nice and did a phone call with me, but I've forgotten everything he told me back in the day. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I, that was the question I had, and I don't know if maybe Dan, you, or uh, or Buzz have the answer to this. Is, is Do you think Lucci's more frustrated with the lack of overall creation, or is he more frustrated by the fact that when they do finally create chances, and it's not like they didn't create them, they just are still really crummy at finishing them? Definitely puts mm. an emphasis on on shots on target. So, you know, it would kind of err towards the latter. Um, you know, the first game he was talking about, he didn't really care about about um, Philadelphia having fifteen shots on target, or fifteen shots or whatever it was, because the only thing that matters to him is is shots on target. Um, and and I feel like he he mentioned something like that again, but. Um, yeah, it's you know you've you've got a you've got a kill off off those off those chances. You've got a, I mean against a team like that, you should be three up at half time. Never mind, uh, ne- never mind uh, waiting until the last six minutes to to come back. All right, so yeah, I'm- I think I, I think if you have 60 percent possession, eighty five percent passing accuracy, and almost six hundred total passes, and you have eighteen shots on goal and thirty eight crosses. I don't think he's going to be upset about the way you control the game and the opportunities you created. It's really just going to be about the quality in the final third, and that's something we've been talking about for a while now. 
But okay, I want to revisit an observation I made about the first game, and and it is this. I, I just feel like this team has made very little, if any, progress from where they were at the end of last season. I, I they they despite the changes in the team, they appear to be almost exactly the same team when we when we last left them. I think that's mostly correct. Um, I, I think that's. I think uh, uh, Santos, I think, is definitely an upgrade at the six over Acosta. And I think that I think in the as the season goes on, that Pico's an upgrade at left wing. But other than that, I think I generally agree with you that basically in terms of like their overall level of play, I think it's basically exactly where they were at the end of last year, which is not necessarily going to do you very well in a league where everybody else gets better every year. You had to have gotten better. And right now they don't look better. So we'll see how it goes over the course of the season. It's a long year. It's only two games in, but I agree with you. All right. And since Dan uh, and both of you have talked about Cobra, let's uh, uh, tap on him a little bit. He, uh, I agree that he's got that fire and passion and fight and, you know, going to pick a fight with anybody in a mo- given moment, uh, a moment's notice uh, kind of uh, vibe about him. And he did score a fantastic header. He made exactly the right run. He hit it with his head exactly the right way. It was actually very beautiful uh, in, in in the way soccer looks at those things. But I'll be damned if I wasn't as frustrated as I've ever been with him for the majority of that game leading up to it because it was just Cobra being Cobra. Isn't that part of Cobra being Cobra? He has a kind of a crappy game and then yeah. comes up with a, a pretty clutch moment. Yeah, but wouldn't this team be a lot better if every time they tried to play the ball to Cobra who's checking back, he didn't, you know turn it over immediately or immediately pass it out of bounds or to the wrong person that'd be kind of nice i mean he's got that kind of uh zades quality of of uh having a hatchet toe um <laughs> i mean you know in the first game that awful first touch turned into a turned into a, a great finish um you know, I uh, kind of joked uh, after the game that, he, well, I don't know if joked, he was pretty serious about it. He didn't feel like he deserved an assist because on the Pepe goal, he was trying to score and he just mishit it. Uh, well, now that makes me, it, that makes me love him. Obviously a technically him. difficult shot, but yeah. Okay, well, that just makes me love him even more for admitting that he was trying to shoot the ball and not pass it. Uh, <laughs> damn you, Cobra. You know, I want to hate you. Thing. You've, <laughs> there are people who are like, oh, I've always believed in, in Cobra. He's the greatest thing ever. You guys are just assholes because you don't believe in him. It's like, no, we all absolutely love him. He's a great guy. We just have to keep it real that as a technical soccer player, he's yeah. not particularly good. I, I would really urge people who are confused by what, and I'll only, I'll, I won't drag you guys into this. What I keep complaining about, watch his first touch when he checks back for a ball that is passed to him, and and remember as you're watching the game, what happens in that sequence? Does he make a good first touch and retain it, turn and go to goal? I almost never see him do that. Does he, B, get a first good touch, hold up play, and then make a pass to a teammate? Or C, does he do something else with the ball that is positive with it? And and I'm just convinced that if you start if everybody starts watching that specific part of his game you'll begin to understand why I'm frustrated by him Uh, because in all the time we've seen him that is an element to and I believe that those are pieces of what's missing from that position that would really really help this team in in the attack 
Yeah, I can't. I can't disagree with that. the The touch that he's missing for me um, is the one where his trap sets up the shot. Uh, now, the the king of that was tattoo. If if anyone goes back to the old indoor days, um, it's when the ball comes into your feet and the little bounce it takes off of you, which is intentional in most cases, puts the ball right into a perfect shot for him to immediately rip it. Now he did do that. In the first game, when the defender backed off five yards and gave him tons of space, but it wasn't a good touch. The ball had bounced up to like his face level and dropped all the way back down instead of being like just one foot away for him ready to rip it. You know, that's what you want to see is him to have that touch as he turns and rips the shot. Uh, I think he would get more opportunities if he could learn that to pull that off. But a guy who's 31 is not going to learn that. I mean, this player is what he is. He's not going to develop any further. We have to either accept him as what he is or um, or or find somebody else. And the one thing of his game that he did last year that got him into the lineup that he's not doing this year is one of the things you just talked talked about is the check back and then play combinations to help build. Last year he did that really well, and it's what got him back into the lineup and got him mm. playing time. It, and he's it, not doing it. He this did well it this year. better. <laughs> did it better. Yeah. I mean, it's always a context with these guys that we're talking about relative terms. You know, he did it better than he had done it in the first half of the year when he didn't do it at all. Right. And then once he did it, he got into the game. He helps create some plays forward. And Dallas as a con- as a team looked better when he did it. And early this year, he's not as good as it as he was last year. And it's one reason why they're having troubles in the final third, I think, is oh, that yeah. he's not doing those little connecting moves anymore. Well, it's a it's it's a combination of of that along with the kind of meh performances from Jesus. It, those yes. two things are really what is uh, messing up this team. And we've talked so little in these last couple of episodes about Barrios and uh, Fafa. And I think part of the reason why we don't is they're just not seeing the ball enough. And a lot of that is because of these two cats. Yeah, it's certainly true that the the trouble with Cobra and the trouble with Jesus is why you don't have a lot of activity like right under the striker where they did late in the year last year. And, uh, you know, Barrios is actually his play has been fantastic. I don't have any complaints about him, which is probably why we don't talk about him because we talk about stuff that's bad. You know, we talk about the negatives more than we do the positives because Barrios actually has been terrific. I thought last game he was a legit man of the match candidate, um, and he's playing just the way same way he always does. And I thought Pico has for the first time ever provided a balance on the other side in terms of the tactical shape, but. Um, the downside of that is, as you say, we're not seeing enough touches from them because uh, last game, for example, Barrios had 50 and Pico only had 27. So you want to see Barrios have more like 60, 70, honestly, and Pico got subbed out. So his number is obviously limited, but um, you definitely got any, not getting anywhere near enough touches for them out on the, on the wings either. It's too much of the activity is going right up the middle and falling apart. Jesus had 50 touches in, in 75 minutes and Barros had 50 touches the whole game. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's all going through the middle and now, and it's not working. All right. So buzz, how would you grade out Tanner Tessman's game? Number two. Well, it depends on, um, what you want out of that position. Manster. Um, I want 120% yeah. Manster. Yeah. Manster. You're getting a lot of Manster. Now, if you look at his passing chart, his play is exceptional. He only blew two passes, and one of them was uh, a breakaway pass deep to that almost hit 
So it's like he had the highest passing percentage on the whole team. It, you know, he's he's playing some phenomenal, phenomenal soccer for a deep-lying, uh, stay-at-home, passing six. So the question is, is that what you want? Because I did check with Lucci, and he for sure is using Tanner as a dual six, dual pivot role right now. And I think some of that is probably because of Tanner's inexperience. So you're not getting from Tanner uh, a complete linking game eight. You're getting a double six. So if you want an eight there, you want a linking eight, you want a box-to-box player, you're not getting it. But if what you want is a calm, uh, bringing peace to the game, settling the game, passing at an extraordinary high level, not turning it over, making passes that are breaking players loose on the wings, then that's what you're getting, and he's terrific. What I want to see out of him is passes into the zone 14, as Dan calls it, which is where the 10 should be um, and where the striker should be. And I want to see him playing as a box-to-box midfielder. So as a young 18-year-old kid, you don't expect all those things yet. So in context, it's fine. There's lots of room to grow, and there's lots that we're going to expect of him in the future. It's just not there yet, and we shouldn't expect it to be there yet. Yeah, somewhere late in the game, he dropped a 65-yard laser bomb into open space to Barrios that was just as pretty as you could possibly imagine. I don't think, obviously, nothing, a goal didn't come out of it, but that was exactly that kind of, like, game-changing pass that that right. kid can make. Um, uh, I, You know, I wish we'd see a little bit more out of him, but... Uh, it's it, well, he, when we did, we got to see it. So it was, nice he to has, see that. he had a tough week in practice, um, for two reasons. One that Cervania and Acosta both came back and are active. So Tanner, of course, immediately slides two spots down the depth chart. So when you're an 18 year old kid, that's pretty hard to swallow, especially when you, he probably thought he played pretty well. Mm. And then on top of that, uh, on Wednesday, he had a bad moment where he made a bad pass or flubbed the pass. I can't remember exactly what he did. He had a bad moment, and I was all across the field, and Lucci said something to him, and Tanner said something back. And you cannot do that. So <laughs> Lucci, Wait, Lucci, like he was mad on. that he was mad that Lucci said something. Yeah. To, really? Yes. Yeah. I didn't hear the the exchange. All I know is Lucci went off and threw him out of the drill. Said, "You're out. Get out." Take, Take off the bib. You're done. Get out. And he made Whoa. him get out and then said something loudly about respect, you know, and be a man. You got to take instruction like a man and made him get out. Now, this happens to everybody. Did they he talk did the about that? Same... Did they talk about that in chum chat? No, they didn't because I think they recorded it before this. <laughs> but uh, he, that's that happens every once in a while. Like he did the exact same exchange with Cobra. In like the second month last year when he gave Cobra an individual instruction and Cobra didn't like it and said something. And Lucci was like, that's it. You're out. You got to respect the me. I'm the coach. You got to listen to instruction. You, you got to be a man about it. Get off. And he made him get out. So it's not that this is an example to be made of Tanner. It's just that this is how it works when you have a moment of badness and you're having a bad week anyway, emotionally, and you're an 18 year old kid. You know, you might in anger snap back when you shouldn't, and that's and Lucci dropped the hammer on him, and he made him sit out of the drill for just a just a full rotation. He pulled Jabron Rayo in instead, you know. But then immediately Lucci, when he when he sat over there and kept his mouth shut and 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 watched and was ready to go again, immediately Lucci, you know, five minutes later put him right back in. And Tanner, to his credit, was working hard and practicing hard and not saying anything and was positive in how he should be. So. It was just a tough week for Tanner, given the circumstances of he's been playing great 
for two games, and now he's third on the depth chart, you know, at a drop of a dime. Uh, that's got to be a tough moment for him. Mm. You don't want to make Tanner mad, dude. Yeah, he is six four and jacked. <laughs> I mean, he could throw Lucci <laughs> across the field if he wanted to, but uh, he's grown he's a an good inch kid every that, week you know. so far this season. <laughs> he does. It's ridiculous. <laughs> That kid is huge. Yeah, he's uh, a grown-ass man for sure. He is. Uh, okay, so on the subs front, uh, you know, Paxton didn't really seem to have a ton of effect in the game, but if there was one player who had an effect in the game that was bad, I, I guys, I'm done. I, I'm done with Santiago Mascara. I don't get it. I don't understand why he's still on this roster. Um, Buzz, you're right. He does look different. I swear that cat yeah, had plastic yeah. surgery in the offseason. I have no idea. I'm just saying he looks different. <laughs> and I know it's nothing more than a change in hairstyle, but it changed the shape of his face, too. It's like he went home yeah. and somebody came back disguised as him. And whoever came back actually is not even as good a player as the guy that was on the team last yeah. year. Um, it's really, really weird. Well, Santi even missed Wednesday for a day off with some uh, – you know, muscle fatigue, kind of heavy oh, workload stuff. He is so light. You know, and to me, that's I get it. Look, Santi's a player that needs kid gloves. I get it. You know, but he's not. I, I just, he's not good enough to justify kid. Yeah, gloves. I don't. I you know, I like a little more grit in my in my player than that. But you know, I you know, if if as you say, if he was banging in. You know, five goals and ten assists, we wouldn't be saying anything, would we? So in the well, end, he you, was, you got if, to produce. If he was causing any sort of danger, I mean, let's like like go back and think of uh, Castillo. Yeah. Castillo was a kind of a lightish player too. Like he, oh my leg or whatever, and he'd miss a little bit of time. But he was so critical to any sort of danger of the team that you were almost willing to look past it. This guy, he's just not produced. He's got a big giant bag of nothing, and I don't get why they. Uh, continue to put faith in him to put him on the field. Maybe he this actually is passed a, at a higher clip than Jesus, which ought to tell you something. Yeah, well, we've talked about how bad Jesus was. Yeah, he had a tough game. I, my biggest complaint about Pomaco on this game was how deeply he was deployed. When they moved him in for Tanner, they left him deep. I wanted to see him push up into the hole because I, you know, Paxton's one of the few players they have that's a pure difference maker in the final third. The one guy right now that actually wants to attack and dribble at people, and they're playing him. And that game, they played him so deep, it's like he had to run twenty yards before he could attack anybody. You yeah. know, it's it's like get him up the field. There's plenty of defenders back there to solve the counter. Get him up there. You know, but. What can you do? All right. Uh, Dan, do you have any other observations, thoughts, or uh, praise slash criticism? Anything you want to throw out there about the 2-2 draw with Montreal? Actually, yeah. Um, We mentioned uh, Lucci talking after the game and and everything. Um, It was was kind of an unsettling thing for me. Uh, Lucci mentioned it, and Reggie um, echoed it later on, talking about how... It wasn't the game wasn't consistent enough on, from FC Dallas. It was high energy, low energy, high yes. energy, low energy. Yeah. Um, but then they talked about at the same time they talked about this uh, this uh, champion like comeback, and I'm thinking, well, yes, because you're slacked off. Of course, you've got the energy to make that comeback if you're a bit more consistent and you know on the ball for for nine for uh, eighty four minutes. Then you probably well, a not gonna not gonna be behind, and b not really gonna have the uh, the limitless energy for those last six minutes. I think it was kind of almost disingenuous to sort of 
you know label that as a as a championship quality anything. Yeah, I, I I I'm annoyed by the never say die attitude spin on the game. Um, and any, I mean, I guess you should be happy you got a point, but you were at home against Montreal, who had a CCL game coming up in a few days, and uh, man, I I don't know, I, I I how anybody from the club side, if you're a fan, it's a different thing, but from the team side. Come away feeling good about that game in any way, shape, or form. You may it, it uh, relieved. Okay, I buy it. But to feel good about that performance, I, I that would be disappointing if anybody yeah. said that. I agree with that. Um, I mean, you'd like to think that your team would fight to the end of the game when they're down two nothing. So I don't know why well, you'd you feel like, like to think that's fight from the beginning. Well, right. Like that's the old Tony Romo uh, criticism. Well, yeah, Tony has a bunch of comebacks in his record, but he probably shouldn't be throwing three interceptions in the first two quarters <laughs> to put him in that first in, in that position in the first place to have to come back. So uh, it's it was a it was a very uh, uh, unsettling performance. It's two games into the season, blah, blah, blah. But it is what it is. Um, and uh, we are uh, where we are at this point. So it, uh, maybe we should be thankful for the two uh, for the one point. But goodness, uh, better than zero. B- better. It's definitely it's definitely a good position to to at least be in to have just things to work on and still be unbeaten uh, at least for the for the foreseeable future. And then um, and all that jazz. But don't don't use the term championship to to talk about recovering from a bad spot that's not championship that's correcting a mistake yeah it's 500 yeah yeah wait is jason garrett <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is actually it is actually that's yeah. uh not a bad so it's part of the process it's a good shout yeah. process uh, you know, it's funny when we were walking out of the stadium, you're thinking, well, uh, you know, we really wanted to get three points here because what was about to come up for this team was pretty daunting. Lots of road games, lots of travel, only one home game. And then today we're recording the podcast uh, late Thursday evening. We all know today was uh, Corona, cr- uh, <laughs> Corona crash day where everything came to a screeching halt, including the announcement that Major League Soccer is suspending the league for 30 days. Now, I don't think anybody knows for sure if 30 days starts today or tomorrow or this weekend, uh, but it did in some ways potentially actually make things easier this season for the club. Yeah. They, they had a six game brutal schedule coming up and we've, we talked about it a couple of times already at New York, at Seattle home versus LAFC at Portland, at Minnesota, at Colorado, that was going to be a brutal, brutal run. And they knew it. Lucci knew it. Um, and this 30 games off because it's an international window. It's only, uh, three games technically. Now we have already know that the Portland game because of things in Portland was already delayed as well. So Dallas will miss only four games, which is surprising. It's that few. And that breaks up this horrible stretch. So they're going to, they're going to come back with two, not, not easy road games, but you're only going to have two instead of the six. And, and then you get a Colorado, I'm sorry, a Chicago and a Nashville and a Houston after that. So, um, it's going to break up this really difficult start and they're going to have a month to prep. So in a way, 
uh, when they even when they put these games back in the schedule, we're assuming they're going to come on international dates or maybe a couple of them at the end of the season. You're not going to get this run of six brutal games in a row. They'll be split up into different pieces, and it'll actually help your team. All right, I'm sorry to do this, but I have to ask the pessimistic Peter question. Okay. So while I hear what you're saying, doesn't the fact that now five road games getting stuck to the end of the season just make the end of the season more difficult when it's when that's really the most critical stretch of games in an MLS it would, season? It would, but I don't think they're going to just stick the six games on the – or the, the four, it's only four games. I don't think they're going to stick those four games on the end of the season. I think they'll insert a couple of them as they go along into the international windows. So – you know, some of them are a little bit more difficult. Some of them will be the end of the season, but it, it definitely will keep you from starting two and six or one, six and one or whatever it probably likely could have been, hmm. you know, get this, give this team a chance for itself, get its feet under itself. And as Lucy said, they had a lot to work on. So I actually think it's actually, strangely enough, it's going to be beneficial. Well, I'm sure the hunts weren't too bothered by it since they were only going to miss out one home game. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm sure they were probably feeling like they, they lucked out there. Well, it's the LAFC game, which is a big one in terms of ticket sales. And uh, if it's later in the season, maybe you can even make it as a hyper hype of a big game. I mean, if they if it's the last one and they stick it as the last game of the season, might be a whole lot riding on that game. Uh, yeah, especially if they can move it to an evening game on a Saturday night. Oh, yeah, that would be pretty, uh, pretty yeah. glorious for sure. Could be good. Um, okay. Uh, well, there was, um, some notes, of, uh, I, I saw your tweet this week, Buzz, about Cobra that, you know, on the pod, we've hinted that he's got something going on that's, yeah. uh, that may, may have kept him out of game and but he's played, but now he's a definitely out. Well, I, I guess it's all going to work out because whatever he had done is now not going to impact his playing time at the best that we know. Correct. Yeah. It's a dental procedure that he had done and don't ask me which, what it was. Cause I don't know, but veneers, uh, I mean, it could have been that. It could have been uh, uh, molars impacted. Could have been he was wisdom having teeth. Having his canine shaped into like fangs, fangs sharpened. You know, we don't we don't know what it is. Um, Damn, I wish I knew. But apparently, it was something that was bothering him, so he needed to have it done. And this way, you get the added bonus of now he got it done, and now you're not going to miss any game time. So, a real bonus on his part. But he would have been out for New York. So, what would have happened in New York would have been quite interesting. If there's any good Photoshop uh, Photoshop artists out there that would like to create a an image of cobra with fangs uh, we yeah. are, we are open to that yeah we'll we'll make it the uh, pod image uh for the week after you send it to us uh the closures uh, any particular feelings about this guys are you uh, you bummed i mean i you know everything got shut down today so it's not like this is the only sport we have like all of soccer minus the premier league at least at the time we're recording this uh, is is done for a while. Uh, any particular reaction that you guys would like to share? Particular takeaways? No. Well, the the only other bright side moment of the thing, which is not my idea, but I think it's a funny one, is that um, by moving these games towards the end of the season, you'll actually get Frank O'Hara for a bigger percentage of the season now. So he'll be an even more impactful uh, back into the season player, hypothetically, just for the larger percentage of games they'll get. So that's kind of cool. Um, and so, yeah, and now they don't do, so New York was this weekend. Uh, did you, so when you were at practice today, Buzz, were you there when the announcement was made to the team? No, I was there Wednesday, yesterday. Oh, you weren't there today. Okay. No. Did you have any sense as to what, what Lucci's plan was? Cause you know, with, uh, 
uh, with Cobra being out and Jesus being with the Olympic squad, did yeah. you have any sense as to what he was going to do formationally with the remaining players he had left over? Yeah, actually I do. Cause it was pretty clear. Um, now ordinarily I wouldn't be able to be as, as clear as I'm going to be in this case, because we don't want to give away all the, all the secrets, but with the New York name game now being hypothetically months away, uh, everything will have changed by then. So it, it's a completely different scenario, completely different team and all that. So um, the answer is it was going to be a 3-5-2. They spent the whole day Wednesday working on a 3-5-2 exclusively, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So the back line was, <clears throat> excuse me, Hedges in the middle with um, Brisson and Reto, uh, those three in the back. Left back, uh, left wing back, of course, was Hollingshead, and right wing back was Cannon, obviously. Um, typical in a 3-5-2, you have your double pivot in there, which was Tiago Santos and Brian Acosta as the double sixes, if you will. Uh, in front of them playing as a pure 10 was Paxton Pomacall. And the two strikers that you have in a 3-5-2 was Fafa Pico and Michael Barrios. That was your starting eleven. But we did see rotations of other people trying different positions. Um, one that was really interesting to me, of course, was Tanner Tessman as a center back, because I've suggested that. He he got a couple of rotations as a center back, which I thought was cool. But um, Tanner played everything from 6 to 10 and 8 to 10 in the, in the, on the day. Um, Thomas Roberts played mostly as a wing, which I found interesting. Hmm. Is he um, any good at that? Yeah, he's all right. Um, he's got enough ball skill that he can attack players, but it's a it's a false wing. It's like a bar like Mario Diaz played it. Ah, you know, cutting in, in and middle. cutting underneath. Yeah. Um, and some of that is just pure numbers between Paxton as a ten, and um, as I said, Santiago Mascara was missing, so Tanner got some time as a ten, and um, Cervania, not Cervania, Brian Acosta actually got a little time as a ten. Um, when Cervania went in as the other six for a while. And then, and then uh, of course, my boy Ricardo Pepe, who congratulations on his opening career goal last week. Uh, he got some time as one of the nines as well, one of the strikers as well. But um, So that that was your tactics. And then part of that was, as I talked to Lucci about it, was the width of the field because the field is so narrow that they want to control the middle and the wing bats can just take the whole line by themselves, basically. And, and it's... So it has to do with making the whole game essentially a rondo game. This is my analogy of it. And you know how Lucci is with rondos. They want it to be this high-paced, quick passing, ping, 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 ping kind of play by controlling the middle of the field. So that's the tactics you would have seen in New York, uh, which now won't happen, of course. And and when we get around to playing New York at some day down the line, the team will be very different, I imagine. So the tactics will be very different. Why do you know something I don't know? Well, Frank Lajaro will be here. You know, Cobra will be around. Um, maybe certain other players might, may or may not have fallen in and out of the lineup. You don't know. It's just when, you know, six months in soccer you know, in a particular season is an extraordinary amount of time. Nobody stays the same from the start of the season to the end of the season. So the teams, both of them will be completely different by then. And jumping back on the Jesus uh, topic, he is not with the team. He Explain the whole yeah. thing about him getting moved up to the national team early. Right, so um, the, the Olympic team all got called in last right after the, the game that Dallas played. Um, and then because, because the FC Dallas would have been the, the biggest MLS team in terms of number of losses, they had a communication with um, Jason Christ about who would go and who wouldn't. And they wanted to keep um, Reggie, mainly because Reggie is such a senior player 
in, in relative terms that he doesn't need a whole lot of prep time. He can just walk in and with like a week be ready to go. And the and Paxton, they wanted to keep because they want to ramp up his minutes, basically saying that they wanted to start him in New York and, and push his game fitness towards 90 minutes. And they let Jesus go because like with the Olympic team, just like he is with the national team, he doesn't play as a 10. He plays as a nine up high. So he needs a longer integration into the new concept than another player might. And obviously this week Paxton was going to start. So um, both from his play and from what we just saw in training. So uh, that's why they let Jesus go. And it's pretty letting him go. is pretty clear that right this minute Paxton was going to take the reins uh, and that's, It'll be interesting to see how that all works out when Jesus now comes back because uh, all the rumors are that the Olympic qualifying has basically been canceled. It's just not official yet, and the players are all making their way back now. So I would expect Jesus to be back in town, you know, within a couple of days, depending on how his travel goes getting back. Yeah, um, uh, we before we started recording, Stephen Goff uh, from the Washington Post. Which one is Stephen from? Post. I don't, Post. Yeah, tweeted that essentially Major League Soccer had ended had uh, directed all teams to tell players to stay home until next Monday. So they, I, I'm assuming what I'm what I'm inferring from that is is that they can't even practice uh, for several days, and everybody just now has a mini vacation. Yeah, that's how I would take that. Well, I'm sure that they'll have them on regimens of fitness and training regimens. You just can't train as a team. You know, I mean, they won't they won't give everybody a vacation. Right. You know? This is still in the days. We're still building fitness. I mean, you can watch any Champions League game and watch an MLS team get run over by a, a League MX team and know that you're not in midseason form yet. So yeah. they'll keep them all together. Not together. They'll keep them all here and working, just not collectively training as a you know a group out there under a coach. Okay. Uh, any more uh, FC Dallas stuff that you guys want to bring up before I move on to uh, Dan's special segment of the podcast? That's everything I had on my list. Okay. So, Dan, you were the third-degree correspondent at the uh, U.S. Women's National Team appearance in Frisco on Wednesday night. They beat Japan 3-1, I think, is what it was. That was what it was. Yep. And um, you have lots of stories to tell from your adventure with the ladies. Wow, you made that sound so seedy. Well, you are a Brit. Speaking of which, England were bloody terrible. Um, <laughs> England lost to uh, to Spain. Spain. Yeah, uh, awful game. Um, hey, is that uh, is that number nine forward for England? Is she an albino? Number nine forward. England. Her last name is England. Oh, Beth England. Yeah. Uh, don't she, know. she may be the most pale and platinum blonde human being I've ever seen in my entire life, and I wondered if legitimately she may have uh, albinoism or something like that, and I didn't know if you knew. Probably not because she has eyebrows. I think oh. that's uh, is that is that the, the does, tell sign? Does she have pink oh. bunny eyes? Uh, no, no, no. Google says no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, kind of, it was, it was a bit interesting. Um, it was weird, a weird experience because, uh, a lot of the, uh, all of the English national newspapers had, uh, correspondence there and I was like, God, these <laughs> accents are bloody strange. You thought you were home? Yeah. Especially, uh, I went to the press conference the day before and, um, it was, it was in the, the hotel in the West Inn at the Galleria and England have like rented out half the hotel. So I'm like, 
oh hey, you know, I'm like, oh hey, I'm looking for the uh, press conference, and they direct, you know, hotel directs me one place, and then someone from England directs me to another place, and then back, and I'm like, so many, so many accents. What's going on? <laughs> Just life is strange right now. Um, yeah, it was an interesting experience. Um, Pete, you'll be, uh, you'd be thrilled to know. Uh, Did Carly Lloyd say hello to me? Did she ask you to say hello to me? Uh, she did not. She no. did say, "Can that uh, that that guy who interviewed me that time at SMU uh, stop texting me? <laughs> How did he get my number?" Um, but uh, yeah, um, you know, uh, US played. Uh, she totally 3-1. digs me. Hey, well, it helps you out. sleep at night, man. US one three one, pretty nice performance. Megan Rapino free kick, uh, Kristen Press with the most audacious lob. It was. Um, <laughs> it was insane. If you haven't seen it, definitely go see it. And then Lindsay Horan, who uh, took a nasty spill, actually won the free kick in like the seventh minute for, for Rapino. Uh, she, her shoulder was not good. I mean, it, it, it may actually still be on the field in Frisco. Uh, she was completely iced up after the game and, yeah, she was. She uh, she scored a header late on, but her reaction was, you know, I got off the field and I, was, I looked at the time. I was like, I'm not coming off in seven minutes. I don't care how bad it is. And then she was. Uh, she said she was even more pissed that she missed the Rapino's free kick, which again, insane. Um, you know, all, all this kind of followed um, the the whole. You know, all the all the new parts of the the equal pay court case where the there was that awfully phrased filing that said uh, women's players don't deserve to be played as much as men because they have less responsibility and require less skill and then we got to saw got got to see two fantastically skillful goals um yeah all all that happens uh team came out in their warm-up tops inside out to obscure the u.s soccer logo but it, it just so happened that because the four stars for the World Cups were embroidered, they showed through just fine. Um, it was kind of a weird night because, uh, you know, we're up in the press box watching the game. We've got coronavirus stuff going on, the uh, the jazz game being stopped. Uh, was it a jazz game? Or th- whoever the Thunder were playing, you know, stopped right the before uh, Cuban's reaction to the league getting suspended. So we were watching that and then... Well, you know, we're watching the game, like, okay, US have won She Believes Cup, it's, you know, everyone's finishing their stories up, and then, like, 86, 87 minutes, US soccer email, Carlos Cordero apologizes for the phrasing of the uh, of the US soccer filing, uh, presumably Volkswagen had given him a call because their logo was on that jersey, it was turned inside out, and you couldn't see it, and they paid eight figures for it to be seen. Um really interesting so you know we're we're in the mix zone we're talking to the players and this uh this statement came out during the game they've just got in the locker room to be told hey a statement came out but you'll have to do media so they haven't had a chance to read it and um you know everyone's trying to react whether it's uh Vlatko Andonovsky or um anyone else Megan Rapinoe absolutely dunked on Cordero which was phenomenal um, you know, uh, while Don Garber and Cindy Parlo Cohn were probably the nails in the coffin for 
for him, I think Rapino deserves at least, uh, you know, an assist and a nice headshot. Um, little achievement pop-up for Call of Duty players, anyway. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah, strange, yeah kind of uh, strange night, and... Um, it was just uh it was it was kind of it was a, it was a shame to hear uh the the achievements of the national team um so overshadowed um with with weird timing of announcements and really petty stuff um yeah, it, it. I thought the you know I, I was watching kind of a little little bits and pieces, and I thought the shirts turned inside out was a really really uh, interesting and clever statement, uh, only bested by whoever decided to actually now sell them as a T-shirt. They took the <laughs> if you haven't seen it when they turn the shirt inside out, the white stitching that holds the crest in place was remaining, so all you got was the outline of the crest, but you did get to see the four stars that are stitched into the shirt so it really made for this very very powerful kind of statement and then of course uh you know 10 hours later somebody is selling navy blue t-shirts with that white outline and the four stars and that's uh, actually the u.s women's national team players association is that who's doing it okay well uh then somebody thought about it or i don't maybe that was all planned out in advance i don't know uh but i hope they sell a kajillion of those t-shirts because that was entrepreneurial spirit at its finest um all right well. and uh and and you know uh one other thing you actually saw uh a sellout at Twerter stadium that was announced nineteen thousand, and there were actually 19,000 people there was the atmosphere in the uh, the atmosphere good and the sound qual- you know the actual kind of like crowd engagement good? Um, I mean, I'm gonna say yes. It's uh, obviously women's soccer is a different cra- different crowd, a lot more younger, family based, yeah. happy clappy kind of deal. Um, <laughs> happy you know, clappy said in his most but, snobby British way. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, it's like, it's like um, a Luton game. Happy clappy. Oh, that sounded that sounded terrible, um, <laughs> but uh, you know you, you had the American Outlaws there. They were making some noise, doing their USA chants. Um, yeah, it was it was it was good. It was uh, it was interesting. They they had a, an absurd number of fireworks going off. Oh um, yeah. So that was that was undoubtedly the loudest thing, and probably deafened everyone. Well, it was a weeknight. Uh, tickets were very expensive. Uh, it started at seven p.m. and it was a sell. How was the crowd at kickoff? What was the what? What did that look like? Uh, which kickoff? The kickoff of the women the women's game at seven. Which the, one? Well, the one I'm talking about, Dan. The U.S. women's na- game, not okay. the one that started at four in the afternoon. Okay, because obviously there was like a couple hundred people in that point. It looked like a North Texas SC game. Um, yeah, for the start of the, uh, the U.S. game, it was it was it was more or less full. Really? Um, okay. So that the okay. So can we now like go back to the Dallas game where now we've had two games in a row where at kickoff the place is essentially empty. I mean, it's not even half full at kickoff, is it? Does anybody disagree no, with me? Am I exaggerating? No, yeah, no, it's bad. Yeah. So parking was definitely simplified. Um, you know, there did they make you pay everywhere. for parking? Well, they didn't make media pay. Um, but was there paid parking for the women's game? 
Yes. Oh, okay. uh, even right. the furthest lot away was like $20, but it was signposted. Everyone knew they were where they were parking. Everyone knew mm. that they were paying. There was no scanning flash seats or access or whatever the hell it is now. There was no uh, no people getting in lines, getting out of lines. Um, the tollway was still backed up at 4 o'clock, bizarrely, uh, well, even before then. Um, but... It just seemed a much a much smoother process. Um, obviously, no season ticket lines, no lines closed t- for only season ticket holders. Um, yeah, it, it was just a much much smoother process. It, it, it worked really nicely. People were in their seats. Well, they were walking around the concourse. They weren't really in their seats, but so it was like an FC Dallas game in that sense. Yeah, I, I look. I, I just don't get it. And, and going to the game uh, last Saturday against Montreal, it w- it's really weird to see how frighteningly empty the place is. And then it, and then by the time you get to the 40th minute, it's three quarters full. And you're like, well, this isn't that bad of a crowd. But why did everybody show up so late? And I assume it's all these ingress issues with. You know the fact there's only essentially one entry point from the tollway and parking's a mess and I, I think if if there's a if there's a problem to be solved that is a giant one uh, from a fan user experience and I don't know how to solve it other than get people to start showing up an hour early. Well, the problem is as well like they've they've tried to to cater more towards season ticket holders and yeah we're gonna we're gonna dedicate X number of gates for season ticket holders. That's great, but season ticket holders are in the are, are a very small minority at Toyota Stadium. So, yes, take care of them. They are the people whose money dictates the budget because they're the people whose money you know you have. But you're not getting people in the stadium by making them wait in longer lines, um, or you know, or having a longer line at flash seats resolutions than you have a or access resolution, whatever it is now, um, than you have at at the season ticket holder line. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a weird feeling uh, at kickoff, and and it does make me wonder if it's part of the reason why the team seems to be starting so slow. Is there's just no energy in the stadium, the fan support, and there's even that cool new thing where people are calling out player names during the 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 starting eleven uh, announcements. Yeah. I, I don't know how that this, got started uh, or what, but that's actually a really cool new little thing they're doing. That's something that uh, fans have been calling for for a long time, and it, and the club have reacted. It's kind of funny because. Um, there was a bit of confusion last week. Uh, they initially they put uh, you know uh, Chris the announcer calls out a first name, fans respond, and they called out Zdenek, and nobody really knew how to say Andrasek because it always just <laughs> I noticed Obram. that. I noticed that. So <laughs> last week they changed it, um, and he just calls out number thirteen, and everyone's waiting to hear Zdenek, and they all yelled Cobra. Uh, no, that was the idea. That he was supposed to yell thirteen, and then they'd call, and they'd respond, "Cobra." Mm-hmm. But they weren't on the same page. Also, all the fans just waited, and they were like, uh, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. Uh, I heard it for myself uh, uh, against Montreal, and it was relatively smooth. Nobody knew how to pronounce Andrasik, and that was very obvious. And what was the other name everybody bonked on? I can't remember. Lucci. Yeah, everybody. They, yes, they reduced Lucci to one to to just his first name. Yeah, like Lucci's now a Brazilian one name soccer player. I don't think people remember his last name, and it and, and on a moment's you're like, what is Lucci? Is it Rodrigo Rodriguez? Uh, I don't know. Hey, by the way, speaking of PA stuff, I have to. Yes, I would know. Come I know. in and uh, <laughs> and call a dog a dog when when you bring back Mark Dodd. 
uh, former U.S. international, one of the great keepers in MLS history, one of the great keepers in this club's history, and then you call him Chris Dodd <laughs> during the whole scarfing. That is insanely disrespectful to get that guy's name wrong. Yeah, it's unacceptable that you can't. The, it's not like Mark is hard. Mark Dodd. It's not that difficult. It's like you can't be calling him Chris Dodd. Yeah, I don't know if that's somebody wrote it wrong in the copy or I don't know uh, either. The PA guy just brain farted. Uh, I you know like he's got a personal friend named Chris Dodd, and that's just what came out. I mean, yeah, that I heard. I heard that with like went all dog turn face. Like what? Hmm? <laughs> did he just say Chris Dodd? That's really yeah. uh, unfortunate. He, he did. Yeah. I mean, there's a senator named Chris Dodd, a former senator. Maybe that's what he was just got brain farted. But, you know, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, I, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I thought, you know, I, I love that they're bringing back the old guys. I think it's fantastic. We've been talking about this for years. It's great. Please get their name right. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Um, okay. So let's see. Women's, anything else about the women's stuff, uh, Dan, you'd like to share? No, it's just great to hear Megan Rapino absolutely destroy uh, Carlos Cordero. All right. Okay, well, uh, guys. I have something about the women I want to share. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, well, Do we need a I'm going to get on my soapbox here a minute. Sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Um, the, the, I have to start the whole thing by saying I'm 100% in favor of equal pay. I think if you represent the United States, you should get paid the same. But there, I have two caveats to that, and I think it's important to say them. One is that Stop with the stupidity of the FIFA money. U.S. soccer does not control the FIFA money. Now, if you want U.S. soccer to politic and try and get that changed, that's great. We can do that. But you can't expect U.S. soccer to make up the FIFA money. That's not their problem. That's FIFA's problem. So that part of the discussion is stupid. Outside of the context of pay the women the same, that's fine. The other thing I want to talk about is I'm really tired of seeing two particular trolls that are happening on uh, all kinds of social media. And I'm going to tell something that is not actually important, but it's, it's going to answer these two troll things. And I think it's important that, that people understand the reality of, of which these things are happening. And these two troll things are the one that says, Oh, they should just play head to head because the women will beat the men nine times out of 10, which is just stupid. And the other one is the is the man response to that, the bro response to that of anytime the U.S. women's national team does anything, you I get this endless stream of the FC Dallas U15 team beat them 5-2. And then you get all this back and forth about why it doesn't matter or no, they weren't even trying or something like that. So I want to tell the very basic contextual concept of why the U.S. national women's team plays under 15 boys teams. And then to explain again why it doesn't matter. <laughs> so the reason they play teams, and it's not just this one team, is that the U.S. women are the best in the world. It is almost impossible for them to get quality opponents domestically. There's no one here that they can play on the women's side that's even close to as good as they are. It's why they play so many international tournaments and so many of them that they make themselves. So in order to get good training games when they play, when they have training camp, these are not scrimmages. These are legit competitive training games. If you understand what the difference is, they play all the time. They play under 15 boys teams. It's what they do. And they win most of them, but they do not win all of them. 
So people keep pointing to this one boys U15 game as like, oh my God, the FC Dallas. Look, it happens all the time that they lose to under 15 boys. And the testimony and the 2,000 pages of testimony, I think it's Carly Lloyd is quite open about the idea that they lose to these teams because the men are significantly more powerful and significantly faster than the women. It's just the nature of biology of biology and they're born that way now does this matter no it doesn't matter it doesn't matter at all because what matters is that these women are representing the united states and they're playing at the highest level of the game that is available to them it's the highest level of game in the world and they play a wonderful skillful game and they win championships and they should be paid the same as the men no one should be throwing into their face that they can't compete with men. It's not the same biologically. It's just doesn't. It's just silly. It's a different game. There's no pro game in the world where men, where women play in the pro league with the men. Not that I know of. Not even something like golf, which is just swinging a stick, right? This is different. So that whole troll from both sides is stupid, and people just need to stop it and just support our women because they are the best in the world and they represent the United States and we should pay them the same as the men. And that's why we should pay them the same as men, not because they can't beat the women or they can't beat the boys or the men can't, whatever. It doesn't matter. They represent the United States. We should pay them. And the rest of that stuff is just dumb and don't even, it should not even be part of the conversation. And to put a just, nice little bow on your story, uh, share with everybody the image that you tweeted uh, this week in relation to this story. Oh, the one that Tanner Testament actually played in that game against the U15s? Is that the picture you're talking about? Well, you could have told it better, but yes, that's the... <laughs> no. Yeah, well, that's the thing about that FC Dallas game. is like FC Dallas's U15 team is one of the best teams in the country. Tanner Testman was in that U15 team uh, and have, has pictures of him with Carly Lloyd and with Rapino and all this kind of stuff. And they're all smiling and hugging each other. And they obviously, you know, there was no negative feelings on, in the moment of it. And it happens to be the only story that got published of these games they play, but I'm telling you, it happens all the time. It's yeah, not yeah. important. You know? well, just, to, just to kind of jump on that, like, uh, you know, Kylie Lloyd after the game yesterday, she was talking about, you know, she did a three and a half hour deposition uh, where she talked about she, she trains with a U18 boys team at home all the time. And, you know, she is more skillful than all of them put together. Of course she is. She is a professional soccer player. She is a former world player of the two time world player of the year. But, as they get older, they get bigger, they get stronger, and you know people bring people talk about that one game. That was a like you say, it was a training game, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't just part of a camp. It was it was in the build up. I think two days before they played Russia at Toyota Stadium, you know they were playing against that they purposely played against players that were bigger and stronger in preparation for a game where they were going to get hacked pretty ridiculously you know we yeah, one of the to, sports analogies is that the best women's basketball college basketball programs they in their practices they play against scout teams comprised of men's uh, teams from campus they go over to the gym they get the gym rats they get the intramural champions and they play them because they're better than the women's team but that doesn't mean that these aren't the best women in the world and same with soccer it's like they're the yeah, best in the I, world I, it doesn't right. matter that yeah, they but, can't be boys you're right buzz but i mean if you know telling this story is 
uh, interesting from a fan perspective. But the people that are using that as troll bait are just trolls. And yeah. if they're and if all they're trying to do is get a reaction, that's one type of troll. The other one is it's just somebody who's an, a knucklehead who really doesn't know anything about the sport, and they certainly don't know anything about women's soccer. And so it just in their uh, tiny pea brain. Uh, it 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 just doesn't make any biological sense that a top flight professional woman can't beat a U15 team, and so they they use that as some sort of supporting evidence for this argument that they're trying to defend. So I I love the story because I just think it's fascinating and it's interesting to tell because when you tell people, yeah, they came to Dallas and they got beat by U15 team, everybody's faces kind of crinkles up like, how is that possible? And you're like, you just don't seem to understand the difference between the genders, even in the age differences, but it is what it is. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, you just it's uh, it, it's it, it's probably you will probably save yourself a lot of grief just ignoring it when because it, you're right. Buzz. You're probably right. But you're, you're absolutely right. I see it, too, Buzz. As soon as it happens, I see your timeline bro- blown up with the hashtag U15 FC Dallas thing. But yeah. uh, tapping that off with the Tanner Testman photo was uh, was pretty interesting. That was the new twist of the story <laughs> I hadn't seen before. And that's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, it's a fun piece of trivia for something that comes up all the time is that we're now looking at a guy who's making his progress into the, into the FC Dallas team and, and is a U-20 uh, international for the United States, you know, and he, he, there he is when he's 14 years old, you know, having just played uh, Carly Lloyd and uh, Rapino and all those ladies and, uh, you know, clearly enjoying himself in a fan type way. I mean, you, you can look at the pictures and see how giggly happy he is to be with them, you know, and how cool he thinks it is. So Yeah. Actually, I put a story up on the blog earlier today. Um you know, since since a lot of that uh, U.S. Women's National Team stuff happened in Frisco, and including that game, and how things uh, things seem to happen in the well, what's now in the shadow of the uh, National Soccer Hall of Fame with that greatest team exhibit about the women's national team. Um, so I put the the tweet. I couldn't find your tweet, so I ended up finding the uh, the one from Tanner's former team, Birmingham United. Um, back in Alabama. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, and, and another point, you know, we talk about teams playing youth teams. Uh, the Mexico men's national team has been tied by FC Dallas's under 17s before. That doesn't, that doesn't, you know, say that, you know, Mexico's men should should suddenly be paid less or, or, or somehow be penalised. It's it's the nature of training. It's. Yeah, it's just it, what it is. Yeah, sometimes I worry that we give too much bandwidth to people who are obviously just trying to get a reaction, um, or just too ignorant to know what they've just said. And sometimes, and uh, and when I think about the time we spend talking about this, I feel like we're just uh, letting them win. But at the end of the day, it's still a f- really interesting story for anybody that's a fan of the sport to hear. Uh, kind of the background and history and and the you know and now you've heard the rest of the story a- angle on it so well ninety percent of the time I, I ignore trolling I just feel like you know I have a vehicle to occasionally express myself and I wanted to yeah no. get that off my chest because it annoys the tar out of me no and and we haven't told it enough and so it's probably good to share it at least once I don't think we've ever told it on the pod so uh, now we have and now we don't have to anymore right promise. Sure. sure. <laughs> Until right. it's next time it comes up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, very good. Uh, Dan, thank you for your time this evening on a very, very late uh, recording uh, 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 session. And uh, thank you very much. Could, uh, thank you. Could we quickly just, uh, just go one thing? Um, we actually skipped over all the cancellations. 
Well, oh, okay. I just assume everybody stuff. knows about all the cancellations, but uh, yeah, today was a day of uh, tons of cancellations. Why don't you uh, list them off for me? Well, or however you wanted to talk about it. Um, basically, every sporting event in the uh, in in the North American continent is now uh, cancelled. Uh, locally, obviously, MLS, USL League One. Um, we're still waiting to hear about U.S. Open Cup that's uh, potentially facing a revolt of the USL teams, uh, which would make it the first time in the 107-year history of the U.S. Open Cup, the second uh, longest consecutive run of any tournament in the world. Um, stupid Irish Cup. Um, yeah, I have a take uh, on that, by the way. You... Uh oh, Buzz has got no. a take. Ooh. Yeah, I do. Uh, U.S. men, U.S. women, MASL for the sidekicks and and outlaws. Their season's been uh, finished early. No, Dan, I'm sorry, you don't seem to understand and speak um, <laughs> Jim Rome ease. That means Buzz has something he wants to say about what you just spoke about. So why don't you? No, let... I just know Jim Rome from those bloody annoying one minute takes on the radio. Okay, well let Buzz uh, spit his take, please, sir. Yeah, the. There's a chance that USL teams, as Dan mentioned, won't play. There's actually some rumors that MLS might pull out as well. But here's my thing about the US Open Cup. Those, those two leagues have only been around for a very short period of time. The US Open Cup, over the history of its time in the United States, is whoever showed up and played for it is who showed up and played for it. So if somebody pulls out, I don't care. Whoever shows up and plays, good for them. If MLS and USL one don't want to be there, let's play the damn thing, and whoever wins it wins it. And USL and MLS pulling out would just simply because it, it would just be too complicated to squeeze it in with everything else they now have to squeeze in. Yes, yeah, so okay. schedule clock exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, MLS have still got the arsehole because half the teams now have to play around earlier. Right. So this is just fuel to the fire. I'm sorry, Dan. Now back onto your list of closures. Yeah. Uh, would you please we, do um, it in Michael Irvin voice, please? No, I don't. I don't know how to do that. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I don't either. Um, yeah, I mean, all I would do is just like get naked on a plane or something. <laughs> White House. Uh, Keep going. Yeah. Um, locally, Dallas Cup. Dallas Cup's been cancelled. Oh, I got my. Adidas I, got, Cup. I got my email two days ago telling me that my English referee was not coming to homestay this year. So, uh, pity party at the Welpton House. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, all the NCAA stuff, the USS, uh, US Soccer Development Academy has uh, has been postponed indefinitely. Basically, we are in Mad Max. Yeah. I, you know, a, a, an extra note about the Dallas Cup, and I know this because my radio show partner is Andy Swift, who, as many know, is the executive director of the Dallas Cup. Uh, uh, if you, you know, when you go down to do your bedtime prayers next, make sure you throw Andy in there. Cause he's had a really, 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 really long two weeks leading up to having to cancel the tournament for the first time in 41 year history. Um, and you know, and making it very difficult to pull off a 42nd one, frankly, uh, just because of all the lost revenue, uh, tied to that. So, uh, you know, that it, and, oh, and for the city of Dallas and Frisco, because the, the amount of money that that tournament generates for this area is worth $38 million. Wow. $38 million. That's that is, like a Hall of Fame every year. <laughs> <laughs> Which is now not coming to the city of Dallas because of the cancellation. So, like FC right. Dallas and the Hall of Fame. F not you, coming to Dallas. F you, coronavirus. 
Mm. Hashtag more limes. Okay, now we will try to dismount one more time, pending nobody else has anything they would like to throw out there. Oh, oh, I've got... No, uh, mm, Buzz, do you have a top five uh, own goals you'd like to uh, list for everybody or anything like that? No, one, just shout out to the patrons, uh, perhaps. Don't forget to subscribe. Patreon.com, third degree, support us if you like what we do. All right, excellent. All right. I've well, got a shout out. Well, okay. Hi, Thomas Roberts. <laughs> You're supposed to do that at the end. <laughs> Yeah, and you can edit that. Well, uh, you're worrying. Uh, I missed it earlier when Buzz mentioned him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Dan, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Buzz, thank you. Oh, thank you, Peter. And and I do have to ask this question before I officially dismount. Are we going to do this every week now during the suspension? What are how? What's the going to be the schedule of the pod moving forward? Chum chum. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to do it every week just because it's uh, the momentum of it, you know, and like people expect it to be there. So we'll do something. It may not be as long or maybe we'll have a special guest or something like that and fill up some time and, and try and do something like we're that. We're almost, so. uh, yeah, we're at an hour and a half now, so which is way yep. longer than I anticipated considering we didn't have a preview to do. So Right. All right. Well, I guess we'll, everybody will just have to wait and see if there's another pod next week. Or Do, do we have you know. any kick talk to throw in? Kit talk is good. I don't. Oh, you know what? I officially saw the uh, Jess, the the goalkeeper jersey in person, and I can tell you officially that that is a color that uh, digital photography has a really, really hard time rendering on displays. That's why it looks pink or orange or some variation of those two colors and never the actual color that it is when you see it in person. It's actually t- Joseph's Technicolor dream coat. It, it it what it is it is a safety vest orange but about four shades lighter than that is really the best way to describe it. Is that the Pantone color? Yeah, that's the official Pantone color name. <laughs> safety co- safety vest orange minus four shades. That's what yeah, yeah that's what one. it's called. Sounds like a great name for a band. Yeah, I don't it's a know long crayon. I don't know what the uh, the code is though. Guys, it's really late. I really love to go to bed. Can I go to bed? No. Yeah, you got to edit this thing first. No, it's not getting edited tonight. Sorry, <laughs> bud. <laughs> Unless you want me to email you the no. file uh, no. and you want to edit it. It's getting no, edited don't. tomorrow. Sorry. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody, nobody else has anything to do. It's not like there's a game Saturday. It's just getting it right, on right. Friday instead of Thursday night isn't going to kill anybody, right? Right. Okay. I mean, you never know. You get it in this uh, in this last two weeks. That's right. Somebody may have coronavirus and die overnight, and they wouldn't have gotten their episode fifty three, and we'll all feel really bad about that. Speaking of which, uh, I saw while we've been recording, <laughs> City of Dallas have done a five hundred person restriction after the first uh, yeah non travel related transmission, so everyone stayed damn well safe. State of emergency in Dallas County. Goodness. All right. Well, Corona is here. Um, Everybody deal with it. Uh, Go find some disinfectant wipes uh, because they're very scarce, my wife tells me. All right. One more time. I'm going to try this one more time. Dan, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Just get it over with. Buzz, thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, FC Dallas fans. We'll speak to you sometime in the near future on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. God save Thomas Roberts. Thank you.